So we're actually in the last week of our series called Letters from a Caesarean Jail, which is such a goofy title. But I want to remind you that Paul wrote four letters from the jail in, uh, in Caesarea. No, that's not true. Caesarean, Caesarean jail. He wrote four letters from Caesar's prison. Uh, and it was, um, uh, let's see, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, uh, Colossians, and Philemon. And uh, we're going to finish the series on Colossians with the book of Philemon. And so that's today's study. I'm super excited to get into it. And I've said to a few of you that Philemon is like the period on the end of the sentence for Colossians. And a dear friend of mine said, well, it's more than that. I don't disagree. It is more than that. But it's definitely a period on the end of the sentence for what we learned in the book of Colossians. You'll remember in the book of Colossians, Paul had written to the church in Colossae, and he's like, here's the deal. You're dealing with some stuff. I want to remind you that he has now dealt with some worldliness in the church, taking on the, kind of the, the philosophies of the world, the corrupt philosophies, and now he's written to uh, also to correct a, uh, a disembodied Christ. In other words, that you, oh, and also religious practices that we were just dragging forward, right? So it's radical, and I hope that you've experienced the radical nature of the text because it literally says that we ought to forsake everything except Jesus Christ in our lives. It, all, it, it says that, the, that Jesus Christ is the culmination of all the promises to the people of Israel, and, uh, and Paul is radical in this idea, and hopefully that woke you up a little bit to our faith in Jesus. I know it did for me. But before I can proceed any further, um, some of you have taken some time to point out that I say Philemon wrong. Some of you, it's really been bothering that I say Philemon. And so I thought I'd spend just a second introducing the text today. I've kind of been trolling you the whole time, but I do say Philemon. Do you know why? First of all, because of Neil Diamond. Su Suleiman. I mean, it just sounds good, doesn't it? Philemon. It's like, yeah, Philemon. A dear friend took me aside and said, Bill, 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 you're saying it wrong. <laughs> Don't say it like that. It's Philemon. <laughs> it's Philemon. And you know, I'm like, well, where did you get Philemon at? Because I'm not sure it's Philemon at all. And I went and I looked on YouTube, because that's what we do for all valid information, right? And I found a bunch of really famous preachers saying Philemon. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're way better educated and better preachers, and they're saying Philemon, and we should say Philemon. It's fun anyway, right? And then I realized if we say Philemon, we have to say Philadelphia. You know, Philadelphia, you know, where the founders, because it's the same word. <laughs> it's Philadelphia, Philo, Phileo. The root of the word, the book is written, is brotherly love, phileo. And if you look into the pronunciation, it is phileo. But however you say it, I hope you've read it. If you've not had a chance to read Philemon yet, I hope you take the time to do so. But I'm going to do it right now with you. I love this before we get into the book, and we're going to talk through it. I love this because... It's a very intimate and personal letter that Paul writes. So hear the word with me. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God and remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's a very, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Articus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's the whole book, y'all. We just read a whole book of the Bible. Pray with me if you would. Father God, this morning for your mercy and grace, we thank you. We thank you that uh, we join the great chorus of creation in your praises today. We thank you have compelled us to faith in your son and our savior, Jesus. And now we ask that you would be our teacher, that this, this small, intimate letter written to a person in a place would awaken something in us, in our lives, that you would instruct us how we ought to live because we know Jesus. And Father, for all the ways that we have a tendency to put saints on some high shelf, I pray that we would see the co-laboring nature, the co-fellowship that exists in your son, Jesus. May we be found faithful as those we read about. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So that's the whole thing, the whole book, one page, if it's like in you know, mine, it's like one page of the Bible, and uh, Paul's writing to uh, Philemon, and I'm not doing it to troll you, I really think that's how I pronounce it, Philemon, you'll just have to forgive me later. Um, I want to do a real quick inventory of the people in the book that are mentioned, because I think it's interesting to kind of read, but there's going to be three major players in this book. Uh, Paul, writing the letter, Philemon, the one being written to, and then Onesimus, a slave, hmm. 
a former slave. And we're going to get into that pretty heavy here. And so Paul, first of all, introduced himself as a prisoner. And then he writes again in community and Timothy, our brother. So they're writing together, just like we saw in the letter of Colossians. He writes to Philemon. Philemon is a Christian from Colossae, so he's in the same community there. Matter of fact, you might recall that some of these names are mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians. So that ties it in very intimately to the book of Philemon. Uh, Christian from Colossae, uh, and his name means a cherished friend, right? A beloved friend, a brother. Um, the beloved, he, he introduces them then, Philemon, the beloved, and that's agapeteo, the one who's loved by God. So he, he kind of says to the recipient of the letter, God loves you a lot. You're deeply loved by God. And he also calls Philemon a fellow worker in the field, right? And so he says, a co-laborer with me. The word is synergiro in the Greek, and it means to be synergetic. So he's saying, we are part of the same mission. I'm writing with the same intent, and I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm dear to you. You're dear to me. Uh, Afia, which is a Christian woman from Colossae, perhaps the sister or the wife of Philemon, and her name means endearment, and he introduces her as our sister. The word there, by the way, is uh, Adelphi, which is uh, a version of Adelphos, which is the same word we get brother from. So it, it usually means a brother or sister in Christ. So he affirms her faith as well. And then Archippus, a Christian from Colossae also, and his name means horse ruler, which is interesting. And he calls Archippus a fellow soldier or a co-campaigner in the gospel. That's interesting to me. So that's another part of the introduction of the letter. Um, I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing the message, and I thought it would be interesting to see all the ways that Paul referred to people in his letters with categories, right? He says, you're a believer, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're a fellow servant, a fellow slave, a fellow warrior, or fellow um, um, yeah, soldier in this work. How interesting he articulates and identifies each person. He knows who he's writing to. And then lastly, lest we miss it, and this is all in the introduction, he says, and to the church, the ecclesia, that meets at your house. And I'm like, oh, whose house? Well, it's Philemon's house. So he has a house church in, Col in Col Colossae where he's been gathering with people to worship and, and to lead. So he's not just anybody, but he's got some prominence there. He's, he's, he he uh, offers himself and his own property um, for use for gospel purposes. He's all in with Jesus. Then later in the letter, you hear this mention of this one, Onesimus. And Onesimus is a slave of Philemon. You know this because he says that later. Don't receive him back as a slave. That's interesting. We're going to get really into Onesimus' story and what the gospel does to set people free and to, to make us equal in Christ. And that's a radical, that's such a radical message that we ought to just be fully committed to as followers of Jesus. A slave of Philemon, a Christian from Colossae, because he writes, and he is a Christian from Colossae as well, and his name means useful or profitable, right? Now, what's interesting is, is Paul's going to refer to him in his name Onesimus, which means, you know, it was a slave name probably, profitable, right? And Paul's going to play with that in the letter of Onesimus's profitability to Philemon and to the Apostle Paul. He calls him this in the letter, my child in the faith. That's interesting, right? 
Um, so Paul says that, and we're going to get more into that too. And then lastly, then he closes out, and I want to mention these guys at the end of the letter, Epaphras, and if you recall, Epaphras was a former servant that was actually serving Paul um, and the church in Colossae, delivering letters, but uh, he was likely the one that started the church in Colossae because he says in the, in the letter of Colossians, the, who, from whom you heard the gospel, right? And so he very well could have been part of starting that church because Paul's never been there. And now, Paul says, he's a fellow prisoner with me for the gospel. So he's in chains like I am. So something has happened in the time here where now um, Epaphras is actually in chains with Paul. He mentions it at the end of the letter, doesn't say any more about it, but that's interesting that he's now transformed from just a servant to a fellow prisoner for the gospel. Then he, of course, mentions Mark and Articus and Demas and Luke and all his fellow workers. Again, you'll remember last week, and it was kind of funny, I didn't plan this way, but it happened this way, that last week we ended the, the letter of Colossians with the list of all the team players Paul has. Well, here he does the same thing. All these people are sending their greetings to you, and he writes to a team in Philemon's house in Colossae. He says, listen, same team Christianity. I love it. There's so much to explore here and figure out uh, and learn from in our own lives. Now, we ought to view uh, things like ecumenical work as long as they're preaching the gospel, right? And, and God hopefully is going to give us a bigger vision for how we can be part of a bigger team than our own, our own work. And so, um, and you can't help but see all those names and how God has uniquely positioned every person for their role. Okay, so we're going to pick it up now in verse 3, the letter. Here's what Paul says. Grace to you and peace from, the, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul almost always opens his letters with some kindness like that, right? But I want you to really hear the words there. He says, grace and peace to you. He's sending God's blessing, his charis, his charity of, of, the, of the serenity of God to the recipient of the letter and the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's Paul's progression now. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. So Paul says, first of all, I always thank God for you, Philemon. Whatever you think of this letter you're about to give me, I always thank God for you. And secondly, I always remember you in my prayers. And by the way, this is probably as good a place as I need to stop for a minute because he wrote to the church that meets in your home. And I started thinking, well, maybe the whole letter is written to the church that meets in his home. It's not. He does this grand introduction and to the church. We're going to get into that a little bit. Because I think he has a lesson for Philemon here, but he wants everyone to understand this gospel principle that we are one in Christ, right? So, so he's like, he's like, literally says to the church meets your home, and he says, I always thank God for you, individually, singular, person. I always remember you in my prayers. And so he's digging into this intimacy here uh, of, of his relationship with Philemon and his desire for him. And then lastly, why? Because I, verse five, I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you believe in him, and your love for all the saints. Now, I don't think Paul's just blowing smoke. I think this is what Paul knows of Philemon. He's like, this dude is all in on the gospel, and he can write with that. And I always remember you, and I hear about your love for the saints and your faith in Christ Jesus. He then goes on to say what he prays about. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. That's interesting interpretation there. So that you will have full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Here's how that reads in the Greek. I'm not, I'm not reading Greek to you. But it says, 
I pray for your partnership or your fellowship, your co-working with me, that it might become, you might become effective in the recognition of all the good that is in us in Christ. I want to say it again. It's a little different there, right? That he says that it, you might become effective in recognizing all the good that is in us in Christ. Paul's not saying there's good in us inherently, but rather in Christ, there's so much good to be recognized in him in Christ, and we don't always see it. So he says, I want your partnership to be effective, right? Um, I pray that you may be active in sharing your, that's, that's what that interprets in NIV, but it's to partnership together so that you will have a full understanding or a full vision of every good thing that you and I have together in Jesus. And by the way, I think it's fair to say all of us have what Paul says him and Philemon have in Christ, but I wonder, what do you think Paul had in mind here in the letter? When he says all that we have in common, what is he speaking of? Here's another way I can ask the question. What good things do you and I share for the sake of Christ? Or what good things do you and I hold in common oh, in Christ? I'm going to walk it one more layer out and say this. What good things do you and I and any other believer in Jesus anywhere in the world share? What good things do we share in common because of Christ? You see, Paul's walking out this big vision of what Christianity means, of what it means for Philemon and for him and for Onesimus to be Christians. And he kind of asked that question, what good things you share? Verse 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, dear brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And so he's encouraged them again here. Your love has given me great joy. You refreshed the hearts of all the Lord's people. So he's like, and I, I, you know, this whole section here, I feel like he's like, he's just yeah, encouraging him, encouraging him, encouraging him, right? And that's interesting because this isn't a particularly harsh letter at all. It's a very intimate letter. But now he's going to turn and start talking about a particular concern he has in sending Onesimus back to Philemon, his master. And he's going he's to have a big ask here. Verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what, I, what you ought to do, yet I will appeal to you on the basis of love. And so I want to say a couple things here um, that Paul starts out, and he's going to raise this deeply personal issue. You're going to hear Paul say in a minute how deeply this affects him and how great his concerns are for how they're going to view Onesimus on his return, on how he ought to be received and treated as a Christian. But he says this, I could be bold, and yet I prefer to appeal the word there is to parakaleo, which means to come close beside, to step in next to someone and say, hey, instead of doing this kind of authoritarian thing where he says, you have to do this, this is the rules, he comes alongside, Philemon says, this is what we ought to do. He wants to be, and someone said this to me, an influencer rather than a dictator. He, he wants to encourage Philemon to do the right thing. No, he wants 
to encourage Philemon to understand the gospel in such a deep way that he would have no option but to do the right thing. He's going to have a deeper teaching that clearly he needed to hear, and maybe some of us do too, about what it means to be the people of God. I'm going to, I could be bold, yet I prefer to appeal to you. Why? On the basis of love. On the basis of love, rooted in love. Well, I have a question then. Why would Paul not just use his authority? I mean, he's Paul, right? Like, he's the guy that's given the answers. He's the guy that has all the wisdom. He's the guy that's dropping all this knowledge on the churches. He's writing all these letters. Why, couldn't, why would he not just be more efficient, effective, right, um, and, and just say what he has to do? Here's another way to ask it. What does Paul gain by working an appeal on the basis of love? What is to be gained in the relationship rather than command authority that he would encourage a brother or a sister or a church to do the right thing? Here's another question. What does Philemon gain? Because Paul comes to him rooted in love. The word there, by the way, is not phileo, but the word there is agape. I've come in agape. I've come alongside you to encourage you in agape. See, there's lots of times it's more efficient to just demand things and command things. But the Apostle Paul doesn't want to demand and command. He wants to exhort. That's another word they use there. Or to encourage or to embolden or to, to uh, what, like, not puff up, right, but build up, to, to stoke the flames, to compel the church, to compel one person in a house church how everything is changed because of the gospel. And so he, he says that. I think there's a lot to be gained. What is going on here, though? For Paul, does he not want to use his authority? No, he says it before. When I come to you, you're going to get it full force and I show up, you know. I'm, I'm timid in my letters. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a direct in per person. No. Philemon has more to gain from realizing, what, what did he say earlier? That you would see all the goodness that we share in Christ Jesus our Lord that you might become effective in seeing the truth of the gospel. And so he's writing then, he's like, you have something to gain. Uh, let's go ahead and read on here. Um, I, I love this, by the way. <laughs> um, Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love, verse 9b. I then, as, as Paul, uh, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, Appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I want to pack that a little bit. First of all, Paul comes. He doesn't just demand and command, right? But then he kind of humbles himself. And he says, now he could very well be an old man here, right? I'm not saying he's not an old man. You know, we talked about it. Like, Paul's like, I'm getting old, you know? I'm holding on to my leaves, but I'm getting old. And that, um, that uh, he's in prison where he can't really force anything to happen anywhere. He's literally in chains, right? He's been locked up. And yet, he, he, he kind of humbles and recognizes the position. He says, I'm old, I'm in chains, I can't demand it, but I'm going to ask. And then he says it again here, I'm going to exhort you, the word parakaleo there. I'm going to come alongside you as an old man in chains for my child, Onesimus. What happened with Onesimus? You see, Onesimus was likely sent to Paul for a purpose, <laughs> He, he was a slave. He was given a task to do. 
And one of the tasks, whatever they were, was to go to Paul in prison and have some encounter with Paul or whatever, or the people there. I don't know what he was delivering goods or delivering a gift or I don't know what he was doing there. But the word here, and it's really subtle in NIV, and I, I like it so much more in the Greek, but it says, who became my son while I was in chains. That's not how it reads. It says that he was, um, he was born in my chains. That means that whatever Onesimus thought he was doing there, and whatever Philemon thought he sent Onesimus to do there, that when he got there, he became a Christian. He was born again. He was born, given birth to, while Paul was in chains. And I don't know that he's saying that it was the chains that gave birth to Onesimus. What I think it was is that even when a servant showed up, even when a lowly slave who had you know, no right, no status, Paul, in his gospel orientation in prison, took the time to say, you can be born again. You, person of no standing, you, someone who's been rejected or who's made bad errors, just screwed up again and again or whatever it's been, you've gotten yourself in a situation. But he was born, Ganesomai, while I was in chains. So Paul says, oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> By the way, fairness to Philemon, he's not going to have any context for what happened when he gets his servant back, right? And so Paul's preemptively writing to him saying, and probably he probably carried the letter of his own birth in Christ as an exhortation to his master. How wild is that? He likely became a believer while he's visiting Paul in prison, however that came to happen. And then Paul begins to exhort and encourage even more. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became uh, my son or was born while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. Isn't that funny? Uh, and now he's become useful to both you and me. Paul's kind of playing with words there, right? Because why? Onesimus means what? Useful or profitable. He's like, you thought you had usefulness in a slave? You, you've, he's way more useful to me and you now way more useful to us, way more than he ever could have been before. There's a complete transformation in Paul's understanding of Onesimus' value as a fellow brother in Christ. And you're going to see this. Now, we're going to read on, and we're going to have to unpack this as we go. Verse 12, I am sending him, and here's where Paul's like, who is my very heart, back to you, Right? And uh, I believe the word here, I don't know, I think it's splank here, you know, Onesimus, my splank. You know, it's like, it's like Paul's just on knots about this. He's like excited. He's like, you know, I said that about Jesus. Jesus would get bent up about people, about brokenness around him. Well, Paul, I don't think he's bent up about Onesimus. I think he's just super stoked about it. He's like, this is awesome. He's my very heart. But look at this. I'm going to send him back to you. See, Paul takes a risk in inviting Philemon's response. This is where it gets really uh, sketchy because Paul could have just commanded it and he would, have to, he would have to just obey, right, if he calls himself a Christian, but he doesn't. He says, I'm gonna take a risk and I'm sending him back, Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. And the word actually says in Greek, in the flesh, the actual person that you can do with whatever you want, that you have a right to do whatever you want with, but I'm going to send him back, trusting you, 
Who's my very heart back to you? Verse 13, I would have liked to keep him with me so he could take your place in helping me while I am still in chains for the gospel. But listen to Paul, I did not want to do anything without your approval or consent so that any favor that you do will be spontaneous and not forced. So not only has Paul humbled himself, not only has he taken this great risk and this is back, right, with the letter probably, but he says, I didn't want to do anything without your permission and I didn't want it to be forced, but voluntary. I wanted you, Philemon, to act of your own free will. Oh, I wanted you to act under your own deepening understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that means. So you could read this letter and go, yeah, big deal, right? It's a huge deal. See, the truth is that um, this could be very costly to Philemon. Paul's going to say in a minute what he may have owed, right? But right now, there's just an ask. And this is, we get into this thing in the biblical idea of slavery. There's a couple of ideas to be had here. And the first, we know like slavery where it's ownership and, and our own history of slavery in this country where you own people, right? And there are people on this is a horrendous part of our experience. People would use scripture to justify our position, our position as slaveholders, and there were people who would use the scripture to justify freedom for slaves because there's no way a man should own another man. And Paul's gonna write here and say, I want you, Philemon, to act of your own free will in this matter. I want you to decide what the gospel says you should do with Onesimus. But see, that's one form that we're more familiar with when we think of slavery, but there was a biblical idea of slavery where you owed somebody something. You had taken out a debt you couldn't repay. Oh, you had harmed them in some way. Maybe you had harmed a child of theirs or you had killed one of their, their livestock. You had done something that had value that you owed them for and you had to pay with your life, not death your service, right? So rather than like that kind of eye for an eye thing, it's like, no, you become someone's slave until a debt is paid. We've heard Jesus talk about the same idea, right? About the people who owe each other and are, are thrown in debtor's prison until they can pay back what they owe. Well, this is Onesimus' situation. More likely, he was uh, a slave in that way than owned. But either way, Philemon had rights, and Paul's asking him, listen to this, to give up his rights for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of Onesimus. You know, there's a way we can kind of color this and go, well, shouldn't he already done that? Like, shouldn't he already have known? But here's a question, do we? In our own lives, when people owe us something, do we view what people owe us in light of the gospel? When we want to get our nickel back, do we recognize all we've been forgiven? When we want someone to come and beg for forgiveness from us because they owe us, because they've hurt us, do we recognize all we've been given in Christ? Do we have a vision to see the gospel of Jesus, the radical gospel of Jesus? Paul differentiates here a little bit because he says Onesimus deserves better treatment because he's a brother now. He changes. So that's worth noticing. Not with consent, uh, not, not do anything without your consent so that you would have favor 
and it would be spontaneous and not compelled, right? Listen to this, verse 15. In fact, this could be the very reason he was separated from you for a little while, that you might have him back. The NIV says for good. The Greek says forever, <laughs> eternity. <laughs> you know, that you sent me a slave for a minute, you're going to get him back forever. I want to unpack that a little bit. But he says, uh, um, yeah, perhaps this is why he was sent, to return to you not as a slave but as a beloved brother for eternity. Do you recognize that we will spend forever with others who are counting on Christ for salvation and nothing else? Like that we will be with him forever, that all the trappings of this world, all the brokenness of this world is going to fall away and we're going to be one in Christ, united, brothers. You're used to a hierarchy here, right? When you get there, there's going to be a flat like hierarchy, there's mean just Jesus and us, and everyone is on the same playing field. This reminds me again of how um, of Pilate when he's talking to Jesus and like, don't you know the power I have? And he's like, you wouldn't have any power if God didn't give it to you. Like we don't even recognize that in our own lives as believers in Christ. That that while he could exercise whatever Onesimus owned owed him because of the gospel, Paul's like, would you let it go as a favor to me? Would you let it go? Isn't that wild? Think about it. These two brothers, three, four, five, 12 sisters are long gone. But because they're counting on Christ for eternity, they're with him forever right now. Isn't that wild? Look, verse 15. This is maybe the reason you sent him to me, that God had a better purpose, that you might receive him back forever. 16, no longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And then Paul's gonna attribute three things to Onesimus because of his faith in Christ. He's, a, he's very dear to me, but even dear to you. He's dear as a fellow man. He's dear as a brother in the Lord. And he's dear to you as a partner. And Paul says this in verse 17. So if you consider him, me a partner, Paul, and I'm sure Philemon considered Paul a partner, then welcome him exactly in the same way you would welcome me. Treat him like you would treat me. You see, Paul sees, dare I say the words, equality in Christ. He sees there's no one better or worse. We're the same. And he actually asks Philemon, when you receive Onesimus, your former slave, former slave, I want you to receive him as if you were receiving the apostle Paul himself. This is his new status in life. Isn't that wild? As a fellow man, as a brother in the Lord, and as a partner in the gospel, just like Paul. Now, Paul's gonna say a couple things here. He says, if he's done, he has two concerns. If he's done anything wrong, first of all, or if he owes you anything, secondly, these are concerns Philemon might have. Paul says, charge me for it. I'll pay. I'll pay. So what? No, it's not your debt, Paul. Why would you pay? I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very life, your very soul, 
your very self. Paul says, you would not even know Christ, we're not for me, but rather than command or demand, I'm gonna say, if he owes you anything, I'm gonna pay it back. Here's what Paul does. He puts skin in the game, his own reputation online. I'm gonna vouch for Onesimus. I'm gonna pay the debt for Onesimus. I believe, and you can you know, disagree, that the reason that Paul will be so bold for a brother or a sister in Christ, that he would put his own reputation online for them, is that he knows all he's been forgiven in Jesus. Paul does. And Paul's like, if I can cash out some of my capital with you and I can say, treat them like you would treat me, I'm going to do that all day. And Paul asks that radical thing that he would receive Onesimus with new eyes, listen, with a new heart, with a new mind, firmly affixed on the gospel, no longer Onesimus, but Paul, just like Paul in the same way, free, a free man, debts paid, promises made. Isn't that powerful? Paul goes on then. I'm writing this letter with my own hand. Reminds me of Colossians, right? I'm writing with my own hand, and I will pay it back. Not to mention you owe me a very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I've heard people say, by the way, that that means that, you know, before he said you refresh the hearts of God's people, and now he says, I hope you're going to refresh. And I've heard people say, you know, it's probably some innuendo about support, ministry support, money. The problem is you have no context for it. And I think Paul's like been like, I've been so encouraged by your faith at this point. Would you encourage me in your faith in this? I, I want to get, get back something from you. And when, I want to hear a good report from this. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul. Oh, that's where that heart there is splank for sure. Refresh my splank and cry. Like, just, just give me one more reason to be stoked for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 21, confident of your obedience in this. Like, he's fully, he's like, I'm on board with you. Whatever you do, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I've asked of you. He has this vision for Onesimus, for his life, for his freedom, for Philemon, for the church in his house to be so much bigger and, and, and beyond what he could ever dream for or ask. Last thing then, he says this, get ready, I'm going to be with you soon, in person. That's not a threat, that's a promise, I'm coming, I can't wait to be there. And Paul, I think this is indicative of him wanting those real relationships. He spoke against uh, a disembodied gospel in the letter of Colossians, and I think he lives out an embodied gospel in his ministry. What am I trying to say there? He shows up in person, Paul himself comes staying at your house. I'm gonna be in your guest room. I'm gonna eat your food. I'm gonna hang out with your family, right? He's not some kind of far off saint. You've been praying for this and I'm gonna hope to fulfill your prayers by coming to you and spending time with you, being known by you and knowing you. I wonder then, would we have done the same thing as Paul? If we saw someone who came to Christ, new believer, we're excited about it, but will we have put our own name, our reputation, our, our finances, our very hearts on the line for them? Would we have the same radical view of the gospel that in Christ we are all equal, new creations, the old is gone? Paul says all these things in letters, but here it is. 
what, what, why, why am I so excited about this letter? Because to me, more than anything else, the letter to Philemon is Paul living out his convictions for the gospel. You know, one of the problems is we can have this theological mindset about what Christ means, who Christ is. But if we don't change, if we don't live differently, and Paul's exhorting him, you're going to live differently because you know Jesus. We ought to live differently. And I wonder, do we live differently because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will we be so bold for our brother or sister in the Lord as Paul has been for Onesimus? I love Paul's advocacy here. I love it. What a radical view of the gospel. So now I have a final question for you. Is the grace, the charity of our Lord Jesus Christ with your spirit and your faith life? Is your, is your faith life, your spirit dominated by the grace of Christ? We're going to have an opportunity to share communion together today. And um, we're, I'm going to say the words from the, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about the, the uh, communion supper but I wonder, as we set it up, as we think about this table, do we see that in this table, there's unity? Do we see anything in the fact that by partaking of the same elements, by receiving together, not going ahead of one another, that we are one? in Christ. Do we recognize in him the unity of his spirit, the manifestation of his promises to all his people? Or do we only see our differences, the ways that we're not like, the ways that they're not like us? I'm going to ask, as you, as you feel led to come forward and receive the elements, uh, these are simply crackers and grapes. There's nothing special about them. They don't belong to the family Bible while we bought them, but they belong, they're representations of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that we might be free and we might be unified in his name. And I'm going to ask that as you feel led, if you would come forward and receive, take these elements, that you would wait and receive them together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Recognizing not just our common table here, but the common table we share with the church all over the world who believe in Christ alone for salvation. So this is what the word says in the letter to Corinthian, the church in Corinth. What I receive from the Lord Jesus, I now pass to you. That our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new promise made in my blood. Every time you do this, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim our Lord's death until he returns. And then lastly, a warning. Therefore, anyone who would eat this bread or drink this cup and not 
recognize the Lord is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ. A man ought to examine himself before he eats this bread and drinks this cup. Because anyone who eats without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on themselves. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the radical nature of the gospel and the radical invitation that you would invite um, sinners like us to your table. That you would invite us, that you would call us, compel us, that your spirit would move in us and you would reveal things to us things too wonderful for us to even imagine, and yet you and your grace give them to us. I pray today, Father, that if there are those here who think there's something in their story, there's something in their past, in their life, this repeated brokenness that's keeping them from you, that they would lay that brokenness down today and instead receive your, your healing, your integration of our lives. And Father, for all the ways that we, we just see differences, I pray we would see our similarities in you. That while we certainly have our convictions, that we would ultimately defer to you as Lord and master of our lives. Help us to receive with joyful hearts from this table that you've invited us to. We love you so much. We thank you for the encouragement from your word and the opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper together. In Jesus' name, amen.